This is a brand new series we're starting that you do not want to miss a single week of it. And I've titled the series, When Life Crumbles In, What Then? And today's sermon is, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, What Do You Do? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Job. The book of Job. If you're here, and this might be your first time, could you take this echo out of my voice, please? In our bulletins every week, we have uh, our notes. And these, are, these are actually a miniature of my sermon notes that you can take a large portion of what I preach every Sunday morning. You can take it home with you. Because there's something I learned a long time ago. There's, there's a very small portion of folks that really uh, um, contain or retain, that's the word, uh, a lot of the preaching that happens on Sunday. Oh, you get a tidbit, you get a nip, a, 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 a little bit here and there, but but uh, you can take these notes home and you can study them. And you know why I do that? I want you all to make sure that what I'm preaching is true. I want you to compare it with God's word. Because you know, God's word is the only thing that's gonna get you through eternity, not my word. Are, is, is it Okay. And so you can take this home with you and you can study it. And I give you a whole lot more stuff as we're preaching and you can write notes in the around. I don't give a whole lot of room on there, but you can write notes. And I try to take all of my, my notes and, and dissect them down or reduce them down to where uh, as much as possible will fit on this page. So if you're here, that's what we do. You get the bulletin. Inside the bulletin is a copy of this Sunday's notes. How many are pretty taken aback about what's happening in America lately? You know, it's just interesting. I, I, I watch the news and I'm a, I'm a newsaholic. Not, not, necessar- <laughs> not necessarily by choice, but I am because I need to keep our people abreast of what's going on. Not the news of the world, but how does that apply to God's word? And so that's what I want you to understand this morning. And, and when I uh, say things and, and refer to things and stuff like that, 
Uh, it's from a perspective of saying, guys and gals, we, we need to keep our focus. We need to keep our focus. There are so many people in your notes, not in your notes there's so many people, but I'm in your notes now. There are so many people that give up on God simply because they do not understand why things happen the way they happen to happen in life. They don't understand what's going on. They, they, don't, they don't grab a hold of the realities that life happens. That the minute you wake up in the morning, you are on a hamster's wheel, if you will, called life. And what we have to understand is it's your choice or mine where we are on that wheel. It's your choice or mine whether we stay on or get off. Now you say, well, I can't get off life. That's right, you can't. But you can choose how that wheel turns in your life. What do you do? Especially when you see crime, you see injustice, you see hateful assault and prejudice, you see abuse and abortion. And I could go on with a litany of things that, that literally could be unending. Now, I do not pretend today to have all the answers. I do not pretend today to bring all the answers. But this one thing I do know in all my years of living and loving and struggling on this road called Christian faith, there's this one thing I do know, and I made the statement last week, and I'll make the statement until the day I die. It was not my statement. It was one that Charles Spurgeon made, and that is very simply that God is too good to be unkind. Look at me for just a second. When something bad happens to you, eliminate the fact that God's involved in it. When things don't go the way you think they should, eliminate the fact that somehow God is behind it. Now, don't get me wrong. God uses bad things to touch good people. And God will even allow a bad thing sometimes to get you off of one path and onto another. But God did not do the bad thing. The Bible says God does not tempt man with evil. God is too good to be unkind. And he is too wise to be unjust. You don't have to second guess God. Well, could this be God? Could this not be? Is it just? Is it righteous? Is it good? It's God. If it ain't, I know that's not good English, but it's great preaching. If it ain't, it ain't. And whenever I cannot trace what God's hand is doing, I can always trust what his heart is allowing. This is God. This is how God works in this thing called life. I wish I could say that the moment you got saved, it's going to be a bed of roses. And it very well might be, ladies and gentlemen, but the last time I grabbed a rose bush, it was full of thorns. That bed of roses may not be the most comfortable thing you've ever got on. But for me to start excusing a situation or blaming people or blaming God is just totally irresponsible. 
Why? Because as I continue, I know that God will never let me go through what I can't handle. Folks, that's what his word says. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Very plain and simple. Nor will anything ever touch the father's child that hasn't first touched the child's father. God has to give the enemy permission before you and I will face something. Let me take you to the book of Job. One of the most interesting books. I had a great blessing in our church, Steve Bergeron over here in one of our men's groups. First time I ever had it happen in my entire life. He preached the entire book of Job in one service. It was good stuff too. Good stuff. But I want to take just to a snippet of Job, but I want to emphasize that this is 33 chapters into the book of Job. After three of Job's wisest friends have espoused all the reasons, all the rationale, all the legitimacies that could possibly have happened and why they happened and what was the reason for it, you find reading from from chapter 3 on through chapter 33, you find the discourses of Eliphaz and and Bildad and, and Zophar. Yeah, you're asking me who? John, George, and Paul talking and giving and giving Job all the reasons why things happened. Aren't you, let me ask a question. Aren't you always amazed at all the people that have all the answers? They come to you and they tell you exactly why what is happening in your life is happening. Anybody had people like that? And the one that gets me is those Christians that come along and say, oh, it's just because you have no faith. This is what Job is dealing with. The wisest men. Matter of fact, the fourth guy in the list, as you read through the book of Job, was a young man, very young man, named Elihu. And, and Eliphaz and, and Bildad and Zophar, they were very wise and elderly and saged gentlemen who were speaking into Job's life. And Elihu was a very young man and he respected his elders. And he said, hey, I'm not going to say a word until you wise guys get done. But man, when he opened his mouth, God was in his tongue. And I thought it was interesting that God didn't do much responding until after Elihu got done speaking. God gave Job the what fors. But listen to what Elihu is telling Job in the book of Job chapter 33. Elihu, he says, I've been listening. And we get into the text. He says, but what you've said in my hearing, I've heard the very words. Job, you've been telling Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, you've been telling them you're pure. You've done no wrong and you're clean from sin. And then all of a sudden you start blaming God. You said, God has found fault in me and God considers me his enemy. He's fasted my feet with shackles and he keeps close watch on all my paths. You see how how, uh, Job kind of turned that thing around a little bit? But listen to what Elihu says to him. He said, but what I tell you 
is you are not right. God is greater than any mortal. Look at me. Before we sit back and and do what some people do and say, well, all this stuff that's happening is God's judgment, how naive can we be? God doesn't work this way, church. Yes, we find in Scripture where God was cleaning house and God was dealing with the sin of nations and different things like that. But it's not because one racial group is posed against another racial group or one ethnic uh, ideal is, is posed to another ethnic. All you see happening right here is a fulfillment of the word of God where the Bible tells in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. What you're seeing is the factioning of the world. You see it happening in the Middle East. You see all the Muslim groups are killing each other. They're factioning. That's what it means. We sit here and think nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, but you have to go back to the original language. That word that they get the word nation and kingdom from is the same word that we get ethnic group from. It's the ethnos. It's the people groups rising against each other and causing a nation to faction. So what do you do? You actually implode upon yourself. In a few weeks, I'll take you into the scriptures and we'll talk about and share where we're at in this world. How many would like to know what's going on? Folks, there's stuff happening that if we are ignorant and we choose to ignore, we're going to be blind. But every piece of it is found in God's word. Look at Elihu tells him, you're not right in this Job. Look at it. He says, God is greater than any man. Why do you complain, he goes on to say, against God that he doesn't respond in words? For God does speak, he says, one way, now another. But listen to what he says here. But no one perceives it. Why could that be? Because we're listening to everything but God. We're listening to everybody but God. See, Elihu's trying to tell him, say, Job, I respect Eliphaz. I respect Bildad. I respect Zophar. Matter of fact, I didn't say a word until they got done. But folks, God doesn't work man's way. God works his way. Look what he says. He speaks in a dream, in a vision of the night. When deep sleep falls upon people who slumber in their beds and they, he speaks in their ears. And look what God says. He said, I'll even terrify them with warnings to turn them from the wrongdoing and their own pride and arrogance. See, that's all prejudice is. There's another spelling of pride where somebody thinks that they're better than somebody else. That's, that's what happens. But it's on both sides. You've got prejudice, you've got false prejudice. You've got accusation, you've got false accusation. But the reality, it's man rising up in pride and doing what he, she thinks that they're supposed to do. What does God say we're supposed to do? Are you with me this morning? To preserve them from where? From the pit and from perishing. All of Job's friends spoke and offered reasons to why God was doing or not doing what he did. And then Elihu said, 
Let's see what God has to say. In your notes, I made a statement. Dedication and determination. And you can put a little asterisk by there and say, before God. Dedication and determination before God is what defines our destination. In this world we live in, it's not about what's going on. It's what's God doing. What's happening, God, and is seeking God's direction. I want to share a story about a man that had every reason to be like Job, to blame God, to get mad at God, to throw in the towel, to quit. It's a true story of an Assembly of God pastor from many, many years ago. And I want you to listen as I share this and I expound upon a few points in it. Charles Greenaway was a pastor of the Assembly of God, a great man, great optimism, great excitement, perseverance before the Lord. Charles Greenaway was a man that believed what he really believed that he said he believed. And his belief was paramount when he would say, everything will turn out all right if you just keep your plow to the ground and your eyes on the goal. You just keep your plow to the ground and your eyes on the goal. And then Charles Greenaway was famous for this battle cry, we're going to make it. Now let me get into his life. There's not a lot in your notes on this at this point. But the cry of his life was built out of years of struggle in what is called the Christian life. He used to tell his wife, Mary, and he would tell everybody that he would meet. He would say these words, life is in the struggle. I had a friend of mine that used to love to fly, and he'd fly in the big you know, jet airliners and travel different places. And most people are concerned when turbulence shows up in an airplane. Anybody get kind of freaked out with turbulence? He said, man, I live for the turbulence. I love it because it tells me I'm going somewhere and I'm doing something. I prayed for him a lot. But isn't this what Charles Greenaway is saying? Life is in the struggle. How many have a struggle right now? Anybody? Good, we have a bunch of honest people. We'll open the altar later for people that weren't quite as honest. But the truth is, all of us can raise our hands. We all are dealing with something somehow, somewhere, in some way. But Charles Greenaway said, though life is in the struggle, somehow he really believed that though the afflictions of a good man are many, that God would really deliver us out of every single one. You find that in Psalm 34. And his life exemplified a man who was willing to die for the faith that caused him to live. Yet no example of this determination and this dedication was prevalent as it was in that year that the destiny of his life hung in the balance before God. Mary and and Charles had no children. They were pastoring and they were ministering, but all of a sudden God blessed them with a child, young Daniel. Daniel was born and and they lived at that time in a little nine-foot wide room that ran the length of the church building that was their home. The little boy was healthy and happy. And though they had little, 
they could not be more proud. They believed they had everything. There's a lot of people that teach today, and I've heard it proclaimed that if you are truly living for God and and blessed of God, that you will have lots of things. That the blessings will be manifest in physical. This is not what the Bible teaches, but this is something that brings a lot of people into the circles that will get people to do things because they think if you do things, God will do things. Yes, I believe that God responds to what you and I do, but it's not always in a a tangible or material fashion. Can you say amen with me? You see, in a life dedicated to God, more isn't always better. And contentment isn't always fulfillment. What I have found, and it's in your notes, the abundance of confidence and peace is not the absence of, but usually they're born out of problems and pain. Charles Greenaway was in this nine-foot room that ran the length of the building because it happened to be the pastorate that he had just taken. It was a church that was struggling, and when he came, the church was an absolute mess. And they told Pastor uh, Greenaway that you could uh, receive the offerings, and after you paid the bills and take care of all the stuff, you could have everything that's left to live on. Well, Pastor Greenaway was a man that really believed God, and God began to bless, and God began to increase And all of a sudden, the offerings started going up, and the board of directors got in there and said, we want to take the finances back over. And Charles Greenaway said, no way. You're not going to make a mess out of this church again. Well, it was only a couple Sundays later that he came back to church after going out to lunch and finding the door locks changed. And a note on the door said, you're fired. Isn't it amazing? Things just seem to be looking up. And it all fell apart. Life began to crumble in. What then? What does Charles Greenaway do? Can I tell you what happens to most Christians? This is where they fail. This is not the way it's supposed to be, they would say. God doesn't work this way. Number two in your notes quickly. Our life is being molded for God's glory. Every step of our life. Ladies and gentlemen, when it's all said and done, can I tell you what you're not going to hear? Wonder, how much did you accomplish in life? Did you get a good job? Did you get good finances? Did you get a good degree? Did you get a good, a good career? Did you become the man? Did you become the guy that everybody looked up to and, and, and made recognition of? Is that Amanda? Did you become the greatest kid at school? Did you become the most sought after? What about you, Terry? When it's all said and done, no? He's going to say, What did you do with Jesus? Because you see, our life is being molded and shaped. That song we sang, Lord, mold me and shape me. This is what I pray. You see, I have found God searching for men and women 
who are in the midst of brokenness. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody in this room today. You're at that place. You're at rock bottom. You got no place else to turn. God says, just where I want you. Because then I can do something with you. You see, as long as we have someplace else to turn, we got someplace else to trust. God said, in that midst of brokenness, you see, that's where that song comes from. That's where David's heart was in Psalm 51. He knew, hey, I, I know I'm the guilty one. I'm the one that did it. He said, God, I got one place to turn, and that's you. You see, These are the people that God develops to become men and women after his own heart. Look what it says in Psalm 34, 17 and 19. I want you to underline this first four words. What's it say? The righteous cry out. See, the righteous, that's you and I, that call on the name of Jesus. We cry out and say, God, you know where we are. You know what's going on. We don't run to this place or that place. We don't blame this or blame that. We cry out and say, God, what in the world is going on? You know what the Bible says? What's the next five words? What are they? The righteous cry out and God's listening. But then I love, I love the next seven words. And he delivers them from all their troubles. Oh, I got three amens out of that. And, they, and he delivers them from all their troubles. You see, this is what happens. When, when the outlook looks bad, I found the uplook is always good, ladies and gentlemen. The righteous cry out, and God delivers them from all of their trouble. Why? Look at this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those that are of a crushed spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but God will deliver them from them all. What do you think Charles Greenaway does? He comes home, there's a note on the door, you're fired. Well, there's no churches open. So he starts to serve as an evangelist. God used him greatly. People being saved, people's lives are being healed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it seemed like there's a powerful mood of God. Everything's looking awesome. Boom, and then his son is struck with a dreadful disease called leukemia. It's a true story. You can go out and Google Charles Greenaway and find the whole story. Their one and only son. In those days, they had no way to treat it other than blood transfusions. And while evangelism, evangelizing, they'd often stay at host homes, at people's houses. But because the baby would cry most of the night, the host in the morning would usually complain about not getting any sleep, and the Greenaways would sneak away to cry. Charles was down to his last suit and, and it was getting threadbare. His shirt collar is unraveling. He used to put cardboard in his shoes to cover the holes so he could walk. And listen to me. And this is where it began. The same place you've been, the same place I've been. This is where the devil started getting loud. Started tormenting and saying, hey man of God, I thought God was supposed to take care of you. Hey, child of God, I thought God was supposed to deliver you. Are you with me today? 
Do you not have any faith for yourself? Oh, you have faith for others, but don't you, oh, don't you love it when people come around you and they challenge your faith? When you're standing as strong as you can possibly stand, crying out to God and saying, God, here am I. Show me where you are. If that wasn't enough, one day he came home and the finance company had a note on his car. They were preparing to repossess it. Because of the blood transfusions, almost all the money they got would go take care of their son. On one of these trips to the hospital, Charles Greenaway had one of the only visions he ever got from God. So he borrowed a set of tires and <clears throat> that would be good enough to make the trip to the hospital and they went there and the doctors did what the doctors did at that time. They split the boy's legs open to get to the main veins, the arteries, and they would hook him up to this machine that would exchange the blood in his body. Well, this particular day, the baby was screaming as you could imagine. And his dad, Pastor Greenaway, holding the boy in his arms said, Doc, I, I, I don't know if I can take this any longer. The doctor said, Pastor, you're not going to have to. His veins are collapsing. You need to just take him home. Make him comfortable because he's going to die. Could you imagine this man of faith and power? Life is crumbling in. What does he do? Maybe you're here today and you've got struggles beating at every door. You might have bill collectors. You might have your house as the only thing you have. You might have things waiting on foreclosure. You might have the, the tow man coming to repossess your car. You might have everything. You might have gotten your pink slip in your job and said, hey, what, what do you do? What do you do when you're Charles Greenaway and the doctor tells you take your boy home and get him comfortable because he's going to die? Here is a man who God at his hand healed multitudes and now his son is dying. Here you are sitting in your chair. You've laid hands on people. You've prayed for people. You've trusted God for people. And now it seems like life is just crumbling in. What then? What do you do? What do you say? Greenway's whole life is trusting God. Your whole life is trusting God. And now the very words were starting to haunt him because the devil made sure of it. The words that he would live his alma mater of life. We're going to make it. Let me add insult to injury. The medical procedure's over and he's on his way home and he gets a flat tire. No spare. 100 plus degree weather and Alabama, he gets out of the car and, and all he could do is glance into the back seat, his wife grasping the baby boy and crying, God, don't take my son, don't take my son. Charles sees another car come down the road and he flags him for help. The car slows down. Just long enough to see who it was and sped up and took off. Charles Greenaway saw who it was too, a fellow minister. What do you do? Why would God allow even those you look to the most 
to help you the least. I've told people in this church, I said, guys, gals, you want to see somebody fail you? I don't want to, but I probably will. Oh, I'm not going to go out and live in sin by God's grace. I'm not going to go out and do something stupid, you know, blatantly like that. But maybe I was supposed to call you and I didn't call. Maybe I was supposed to visit you and I didn't visit. Maybe I walked by you and was saying hi to everybody and didn't say hi to you. Maybe I shook a dozen hands and didn't shake yours. Oh, do you see how the devil just plays that up? Oh, I'm not important. I'm not this, I'm not that. What do you do when those you look to the most seem to help the least? Why would God not do something to change the immediate situation, the pain, the agony, the hurt? Let's go back to Job for a second. Remember Elihu talking to Job and saying, Job, how do you fight against God when he does not give account? There are many times, and I want you to hear this. I put it on the screen because I want you to see this. There are many times that God allows and even orchestrates life's happenings. Oh, not to alleviate, but rather to get somebody's life in the direction that he has set. The 37th Psalm says, the footsteps of a good man are ordered of God. And I love the way it continues. Though he stumble, he'll not utterly be cast down. For God said, I will uphold him with my righteous right hand. The 119th Psalm records these words. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. See, this was Job's issue. He was starting to figure out why this, why that, why the other thing. And starting to find people that would come and, and excuse and even, and even abuse his relationship with God. I mean, his wife was even recorded as saying, why don't you curse God and die? But this young man, Elihu, chided Job saying, God has allowed this to happen. That you could see what God ordains. And if you've read the book of Job and you've looked at it, you see the big picture. Job couldn't see it because he's living it. You can't see why God is allowing what he's allowing right now because you're living it. But we can read the book of Job. We can read how the whole thing un, uh, you know, came open and unveiled right in front of us. And we could see how the end was so awesome. But guess what? Job couldn't see any of it. All he saw was the pain, the discomfort. God, where are you? The children of Israel are coming out of 70 years of captivity and, and they've been in bondage in the Babylonian empire. And, and I, I've had a lot of people quote this, this passage out of context. But the context is Israel was all jacked up. Israel were disobedient to God. They were blowing it before God and God was trying to get their attention and say, guys, come on. I got plans for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. My plans have never changed. My plans are to prosper you. My plans are to not harm you. My plans are to give you hope. My plans are to give you a future. Why do you keep going this way? Why do you keep going that way? And God said, I haven't changed my plans. Charles Greenaway, 
on that dusty Alabama road, laid his head on the side of his car and just sobbed uncontrollably. And then God opened his eyes to a vision. And he saw the mighty man of God by the name of Samson. He saw him being led into a banqueting hall full of the Philistines between two guards. His eye sockets were empty holes because they had been burned out by the Philistines. His body was covered with scars and he heard the wine being poured over the glasses in what nothing more could be described as a drunken party of hell. And they brought him to mock him. When you go through struggles, ladies and gentlemen, the world would love to mock you. Your quasi-Christian friends would love to mock you and say, where's your God now? Oh, man of faith. And you stand up and you say, well, you know, uh, uh, and you want to go, go crawl in a hole somewhere. But God is chiding you. God is encouraging you. Stand up and know that nothing by any means will touch you that I have not allowed. And I will make a way where there seems to be no way. Can somebody say amen in this house today? And he heard Samson lift his sightless eyes to heaven and say these words, God help me one more time. You may be that one more time person here today. You've been saying, God, I've been through it. And God, I'm still living in it. And I know you've got a way out of it. But God, I need you to help me one more time. You see, it was in the hot Alabama sun amidst the silent tears of a grieving wife that he lifted his eyes towards heaven. He said, God, help me one more time. The next morning at 2 o'clock, Mrs. Greenaway lifted her tear-stained face to heaven and said, Jesus, he suffered long enough. And before she could even wipe her eyes, Little Daniel was gone. That night, Charles Greenaway walked into the yard and he looked up into that night sky and he proclaimed the words that would become the hallmark of his ministry. And I want you to hear this, folks. I want you to hear this. He said, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why you've allowed this. But I do know this one thing. I'm not going to go to hell over a mystery. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm not going to walk away from you. You are the only hope that I have. And I'm not going to go to hell over a mystery. Let me quickly bring this to a close this morning. Number three is God, his plan is to fulfill all he has planned for your life. You see, that passage of Jeremiah 29, 11 Israel didn't deserve God to fulfill anything. But God is a God of his word. He said, I got plans for you. I got plans. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. You don't know what Israel did that got him into captivity. But God said, I didn't change my plans. I got plans for you. Look at me. I got plans for you. I got plans. Oh, you may have messed it all up, but I got plans for you. I haven't changed my mind, God says. But God, everything's crumbling in a mouth. Yeah, but what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to run from? Are you going to run to? What, what, are you, what are you going to do? I got plans. I can start naming names in this church today. God has plans. He hasn't changed his mind. And his plan is to fulfill that plan. Yeah, but what about my life? What about your life? Yeah, but I got plans. Look what the scripture says. Folks, I, I, I love you, but I'm going to take scripture over you every time. Amen. Proverbs chapter 16 says, you might make your plans, but God is the one directing your steps. See, too many of us start listening. Well, what about this? What about this? What about it? What about God? Why bad things happen to good people, I may never understand. But I do understand that if you will give God enough time in your life, everything he does and allows will begin to make perfect sense. Charles Green and White, you say, Pastor, how could that make any sense at all? Well, before little Daniel came along, Charles and Mary had a call on their life to go to Africa. No American missionary group was sending people to Africa, especially if they had kids. Literally within a year after young Daniel went home to be with the Lord, the American Mission Association called Charles and Mary and said, would you go? And they went. And you know what happened in Africa? God gave Charles and Mary thousands of African children. God gave Mary and Charles thousands of men and women who'd be born in the kingdom of God. They preached the gospel to every major culture group on, the continent of the, on every continent of the world. They spent more than 50 years successfully planting over 3,000 churches, founding 13 Bible schools, and are in the, were in the process of taking the gospel to 15 tribes who have never before heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, God gave Charles and Mary a new son. And before Charles and Mary died, their son made a commitment become a pastor and not only his son but his grandson who is preaching the gospel today folks why do things transpire that way we can look over the times of our lives and maybe we've been confused frustrated even considered giving up on God all because we didn't understand why things transpired the way they did only to look back at it on an, at another time of life and either begin to partially understand or fully understand what God did. There's a statement that I've made for years. If I had the insight of my hindsight, I would have incredible foresight. But I'm not always able to see what God has planned. As the worship team comes, I find that there's just way too many that throw out the baby with the bathwater. There are too many who spend too much time excusing the lie and too little time examining the truth. What do I mean very simply is we believe the lie of the world that this is just, this is what Christians do. This is what people do. This is, no. God said the truth of my word 
is, yeah, you're going to go through struggles, but I'm going to make a way every single time. You see, I suppose if you were to ask Charles Greenaway what was the turning point of his life, he'd probably say it was that dark and lonely Alabama night when he and his wife proved to God just as Abraham did that day that he lifted a knife above Isaac, just as well as that Shunammite woman who was given a promised son only to have the boy die later and find the prophet of God, Elisha. And when Elisha asked him, how is everything? She could say with bold confidence, it is well. Abraham could lift that knife because he knew his God. The Shunammite woman could say it is well, even though it looked like everything crumbled in. Why? Because she knew her God. She knew what they did. And they would not waver and turn from God, even in the midst of the difficulty of believing in the mysteries of life. Let me ask you, what's caused you to waver? What's called you to shudder? Oh, it might not be as serious as the Greenaway's plight, but to you it was just as serious. What was the reason? That maybe you gave up on others. Maybe you gave up on yourself. Maybe you're here today and you've thought about giving up on God because it just wasn't happening. Life is crumbling in. Well then, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I wonder if you can bow your heads with me for just a moment. I don't know everybody here. I know most people because most have come for a long time and, and I really purpose to get to know people by name. But I don't know your life. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. But I can tell you today without, with, with, with complete confidence, if you won't give up on God, he promises to get you where you're going. Where are you at? Is life crumbling in? I want to take a moment and I want to open these altars as the music plays softly. And I want you to do the same thing that Charles Greenaway does, did. I wonder if you could find a place at an old altar just like this Say, God, I don't understand what's going on. But one thing I do know is you're going to be in the middle of it as long as I cry out to you. If that's you, I don't, it doesn't matter where you're at or where you've been. It matters where you are right now. These altars are open. These altars are open. People are coming. People are getting up out of their chairs. They're coming to find a place before God. They're coming to say, God, hey, I've been looking at everything else. I've been looking this way. I've been looking that way. And maybe you haven't turned away. Maybe you haven't done But But today, man, you have just been completely enveloped in what's happening in this world. Folks, I tell you, what is happening in this world is not going to get better. But in the midst of what is happening, Jesus is still Lord. 
Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.